Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. If you do something that makes you feel really alive, it, it keeps you in the moment. And sometimes that can be the most helpful thing when you're trying to move forward, not forget, but move forward from something that's been challenging for you. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. Got an incredible guest today. He's traveled to almost every country in the world. He only has one left, and he's been doing all this traveling while working full-time as a teacher. He's such a sweet guy. I know you're going to love this conversation, and there are plenty of juicy travel nuggets for you. We talk about the one packing item you should not practice minimalism with, the benefits of having a fresh start in every place you go, why travel is the opposite of running away from things, right? People sometimes say, well, if you travel, you're just running away. You're running away from your problems. Well, we talk about why we don't believe that is the case. We cover weaving your other passions into travel, how that can help you with your mindset, reverse culture shock. He shares his advice on traveling in lesser touristed destinations like Pakistan and other places around the world. And we get into uh, some personal stuff around uh, a death in the family with uh, somebody he was very close to and how that was a motivator for him to start traveling and so much more. You're going to love it. I also share a secret fantasy I harbor in this interview. Yes, a secret fantasy. And I was thinking about harboring secret fantasies. And uh, I'm going to share another one I have with you. Maybe as a traveler, this is a secret fantasy that you've harbored as well. Now, one secret fantasy I harbor that I'll share with you before we get into today's interview. Have you ever landed somewhere or traveled somewhere, I should say, some amazing place in the world and just thought to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to sell everything and stay here. 
or I'm going to open a tiki bar on the beach, or I'm going to have a nice little cafe on this strip. I know there's probably some people out there listening that have maybe done this very thing. You know, I've never done that. Never just showed up somewhere and be like, you know what? This place is great. I'm staying here. I'm going to sell everything. I'm not even going to go back home. I'm just going to completely reinvent my life in some way and stay in this place. I almost did this once. I almost joined the circus. I met this traveling band of uh, circus performers in Nicaragua. They were performing on the streets and they traveled all over and just uh, performed in all kinds of places around Central America just for donations, just to entertain kids. It was such a beautiful group of people. And they had this old school bus and I started talking with them and they let me on the school bus and they had all these costumes and all the sort of characters you would meet at a circus. And I was like, oh my God. They actually asked me, they're like, hey, I had experience being a tour manager for a band. They're like, we don't have like somebody that can organize everything logistically and stuff. Do you want to come with us? And uh, man, I was so close, this close. And I kind of, it's one thing I regret a little bit. I'm, I can't regret anything because I'm really happy with the way my life has gone. But it would have been cool just to hop on that bus and travel around with them, be part of a, a traveling school bus circus around Central America. This was a group of uh, street performers from all over the U.S., and they were just cool people. So didn't do it. Didn't join the circus. Man, that would have been a cool story, though. <laughs> what secret fantasy do you harbor? You can always get in touch and let me know. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com. You can keep them clean. We can we can stay in the realm of travel fantasies. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Let's get into today's show with my new friend, Brian. I know you're going to love this interview, and I will see you on the other side. My friends, stick around for that because I'm giving a shout out to one of you beautiful souls in the Zero to Travel listening community. On the other side of this interview, stick around for that. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Asher from TheWorldHiker.com. Brian, hey man, how's it going? Hello, good morning. How are we doing? Good morning. Yeah, sorry, uh, you had to get up so early for this. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm glad to be here. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So, not a problem. You said you're in Cali, right? So it's like six a.m. for you, in California. So it's about six o'clock. You got it. Sacramento, according to your Skype handle. I'm not sure where yes, you sir. are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Sacramento. Exactly. Exotic Sacramento. <laughs> exactly when you think of exotic you think of sacramento that's the first uh, ab- thing that comes to mind absolutely so. or bakersfield <laughs> bakersfield's the next or one bakersfield. that comes to mind yeah or stockton or turlock or one of these valley cities <laughs> is that where you grew up <laughs> yes yeah i grew up in sacramento i was here for first 18 years of my life and then uh, went away to college for a couple of years to the south to georgia and south carolina and then came back and uh Finished up school here before before moving abroad. Yeah, what brought you to the South for college? Because that's a totally different vibe, right? Sure. Yeah, I wanted to do something different. Uh, just go farther away from home, stretch my wings, and uh, played college baseball for a year at a small school in Georgia, and just wanted to try something different and almost like a different country to me in a way when you're uh, 17, 18 years old. Was that like a scholarship thing or... Yeah, it was academic and athletic um, at a small school. I wasn't quite good enough to play at a real big school, but enabled me to to be able to get a lot of it paid for and and do something different than the rest of my buddies that were staying more around town or in California. Cool. 
I should let you know that we are recording right now because it's uh, sure. I, I'm always afraid to miss some travel gold. So sure. here we are, and I want to welcome uh, you, good sir, Brian Asher, to the show from the World Hiker. Dot com. Instead of trying to write up a snappy intro, I think it's better for, for us to just get into your story a little bit because from the email that you sent me, you sounds like you were inspired by the passing of your, your brother to start traveling. And since then, you've been to 193 of the 194 UN-recognized countries in the world. So you're going to every country in the world. You just have to tick off North Korea, which I'm sure that's a little bit... You know, <laughs> a little bit dicey right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I want to get into this, and I mean, not to kind of start off on on sort of a heavy subject, but it did kind of all start for you with the passing of your brother, it sounds like, at least the way you described it to me. Tell us a little bit about your brother, you know, who he was and what he meant to you. Sure. Yeah, I had uh, one younger brother, and growing up, we did a lot of things together. Um, we were, you know, siblings. I think you're a little bit rivals in the beginning, um, you know, as brothers are. But um, in high school, being two years older than him was, you know, looking out for him when he got into high school. And then um, shortly thereafter, when I finished college baseball, after a year or two in college, I had never camped. I had never hiked. I didn't like Spanish. I didn't ever think about teaching. Um, I had never traveled until I was 21. And he just started sharing stories because he went on a couple college abroads for how mind-opening it was. And just his perspective was totally changing. He said, you're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it when you try it. And so he was the guy that convinced me to get a job with him as a backpacking guide in Colorado, where um, I worked at a summer camp for three summers. And I met people who had been in Nepal and Antarctica and all over the world. And it just started opening opening my thought to, to doing something different. And so really inspired me to to try to stretch out of my comfort zone and do something different. Our family never traveled, never thought about it really growing up. And uh, he introduced me to these things. And so, um, you know, encouraged me to, to think about going abroad, which I did uh, first time when I was 21 and um, was, was just the key factor in pushing me towards everything that's major in my lifestyle right now. Hmm. So, um, how did he pass away? What happened? Sure. Yeah, he had some heart issues and um, just kind of came up suddenly uh, several years back. And I'd been teaching abroad for about five and a half years, and it really reshaped my life. So I, I came back and wanted to be closer to family and got a job teaching here instead of teaching English abroad when that happened and uh, kind of reshaped my focus of not postponing your dreams, but um, you know, if you have things that you really want to do, we wanted to visit all 50 states and travel all over the world together uh, to put these things as a priority instead of putting them off towards uh, retirement or someday in the future that uh, you know life wasn't necessarily guaranteed and that we shouldn't be just postponing these things that we we have in our mind and that we have a passion for doing. Yeah, it's the ultimate reality check and and kind of perspective shifting thing, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's like we mm -hmm. somehow conveniently forget as human beings, or we try to forget that death is right over our shoulders at any moment, really, uh, when it comes down to it. But maybe it's too stressful to live that way. So we just kind of pretend it's not going to happen to us or something. <laughs> but um, I, I do find it as a daily reminder almost to, to be a really powerful tool for living your best life. And all right, so at what age did the heart condition appear like how quickly did things happen it sounds like it was a 
it was not maybe something he was born with, but sort of like a surprising type of thing that developed. Yeah, or? yeah, it came along really suddenly. And, you know, I was coming back to kind of try to help out and things, and he just passed very quickly. It was a, a surprise to all of us there, and I expected to come home for a bit and possibly go back and teach in Latin America, but it uh, it came on just really suddenly, and it was just a huge surprise and, and shock for us. So Are you talking about within a period of weeks or months? Or Yeah, within a period of a few weeks Gosh. there, um, towards the end of his life, and being, you know, my only younger brother and, and best friend's really uh had me down for a couple of months afterwards coming back um you know teaching abroad having my life and girlfriend and job and apartment and friends and things and going wow like you know how can i go forward and um what can i do <laughs> to live live a more inspired life and live for the two of us and uh and so i headed out that summer and uh we had wanted to go to all 50 states, so I had been to 32, he had been to 48, and I, I spent the next like four weeks of the summer driving around and, and accomplishing his and my goal to visit all 50 states. So I went to you know, the last 20 or so states there to honor him, and that just inspired me to, all right, maybe I can stretch this internationally. And then it became a, a, a mission to try to keep going to new places um, during my school schedule after that in the you know, the idea of being able to honor and live for him and, and to do something that we talked about doing and, and really had a passion for doing together. Yeah. Uh, how old were you at the time when that happened? Yeah, I was uh, 28. Okay. It sounds like it was very unexpected and things happened quick, but I mean, was it so quick that you didn't even have a chance to kind of have talks about like his death or like what you might do and what he, you know... I can imagine. I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes and understand sure. what, what I would talk about. I mean, yeah, when things happen quickly, sometimes it's tough to, you know, kind of plan or be able to talk about uh, this with that perspective that you would have afterwards. But he had he had come down to visit me in Brazil, you know, not long um, before that, and you know, encouraged me and was just always behind me to be able to you know, travel, live abroad, do things that are different, don't follow the norm. Um, you know, kind of that just joy that comes from when you're doing what you love. And that was something that we we both shared. He'd been down to visit me not, not long before this at all. And, uh, you know, I could just feel it even sometimes without like the direct conversation you wish you had sometimes in the last few moments or the last few weeks could feel uh, just that encouragement and support for, for doing what, what I was doing at that time, which was living, teaching, giving, you know, trying to, to bless my students there and, and you know, kind of live your, your life that you're not afraid of living by yeah. doing what other people want for you. And so he was always behind me for, for doing that. Yeah, I'm just so sorry uh, for your loss. And uh, No, I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was, you know, obviously a big thing I wanted to talk about here on the show because uh, travel... I mean, like you said in the email, you said, quote, it has helped me to move forward from the passing of my brother in terms of mm -hmm. travel. Um, and my best friend, I believe that he'd be so proud to see me living a full life of travel, just like he always wanted to do as well. So, you know, how specifically did travel help you with the grieving process? And, and I mean, like this could be some things that could maybe apply to maybe not even somebody that's lost somebody, but maybe somebody's grieving a relationship or something else. You know, what did you find in your experience? Sure. I think in life, we all have hardships, we all have challenges thrown at us. And when we're sitting still, like I was at home for a couple of months, um, just spinning my wheels on this and whatever the issue or challenge that comes to us, 
it's helpful to go forward and to be with people and to have new experiences. And for me, it gave me a sense of purpose. And in a way, I kind of had a clean slate too. If you're in another country, people don't know your history, your baggage. They see you right. as someone they've never met before. It's not like um, you're running into some people at the bar that know you and know what just happened and is constantly coming up type of thing. <laughs> no, yeah, you're meeting strangers that have no idea of your past. They might even know what country you're from or what language you speak until you introduce yourself. And uh, just kind of that fresh start was really helpful. And, you know, stepping out and, and doing things and being active. And I always say, you know, like when I'm on the road traveling, it feels like I live a week and a day because there's so many new experiences. It's, it's so intensely a live feeling. And that for me was one of the best things I could feel at that time was just that feeling of being so alive, that new experiences, logistics, um, question marks or where you're going to sleep, where you're going to stay, how you're going to get there. Uh, if you do something that makes you feel really alive, it, it keeps you in the moment. And sometimes that can be the most helpful thing when you're trying to move forward, not forget, but move forward from something that's been challenging for you. You said not forget, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because it's, it's, there could be this idea of, well, and people have said it, or maybe parents have accused kids of, of you know, they're traveling and doing this or whatever, like, hey, you're just running away from everything, right? You're, you're saying this is the opposite of that. This is about feeling alive and, and, you know, doing something that puts you into a present state of mind, but again, not, not forgetting. I always find it, you know, the saying, wherever you go, there you are. That's a pretty famous saying. And that's true because wherever you take your physical body, you still have got your mind with you and the things that whatever make us up as human beings, as individuals. But on the other hand, like you said, you also have this like clean slate and people don't know your past. And like, there are other things like, yeah, wherever you go, there you are. But there are external factors and other things that do change that a little bit too. Do you know what I mean? Like there you are, but you're under a different set of circumstances, living a different kind of life on the road. I don't know. It's just, uh, there's no question here, really. It's just uh, more of a existential rant, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're out in completely new you know, situations, different people. It, it forces you to adapt and be on your feet. And, and be in the moment and you know everything is new and I, I love that like when you're in routine I always wonder like what's the next new project or activity and when you're on the road every day is new and it's something that's really healthy I think it's really you, healthy you don't us. have to go to every country in the world you could no. have the same feeling from travel so uh, just by you know you could have spent all this time in just South America or wherever why the every country in the world thing sure yeah over the next um like four years of teaching here at home, I really missed being abroad, but it felt like it was right to be closer to family and be here after being gone for almost six years teaching English. And so I thought, well, if I have uh, nine months more or less teaching here and two months off in the summer, one month off during the school year, that I'm going to maximize those three months because I love it. It just makes me feel good, makes me feel purposeful to go to new places. So that, that feeling of human kindness, the people I meet, the adventures I'm having, and so it just started to add up, and I went from about 15 countries to when my brother passed to about 85 or 90 over the next uh, five years of teaching here. And then almost exactly two years ago, I thought, wow, I'm at 90 countries. Like, I wonder if every country in the world would be possible. And, and somehow I like these goals. Like, I run marathons. I love hiking peaks. Like, somehow, like, tangible goals to me just kind of get me, get me going. And so the idea of 
how many countries or do I know anyone that knows anyone that's been to every country? And so I started just researching a few different other you know, younger people that have been to almost every country. And I met one or two people in person that had been to 170 or 80 countries. And all of a sudden that fire started burning. And I thought, wow, if I take a year off of teaching with 14 months, like, you know, how much can I do in the more remote regions of the world if I don't have to come home, but if I can travel more by local transport in those regions? And so started planning for it and, and getting that idea. And I think sometimes once that idea is planted, if, uh, you know, you start getting more and more excited about it and learning about it and meeting a couple people, then it becomes more possible for you. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it sort of kind of happened organically. Like you just started going travel crazy and then like you hit 90 countries. You're like, wait a second, hold on. This is a thing. And obviously, like you said, you being goal oriented. I mean, I think you said you ran six, you've run 62 marathons and peaked out on like 450 mountains or something, which which is insane. I do want to talk about (laughs) running. I want to talk about traveling on a teacher salary, which is something you've sure. been doing. So I'm sure there's going to be some great tips there and maybe some packing tips and things like that and get some more travel stories from you because I'm sure you've got uh, a lot. But um, let's talk about the running thing really quick because uh, my sister does long distance running and my my version of long distance running is like a three a, or a 5K or something. And I'm like, all right, that's <laughs> enough. What does running do for you as a traveler? I mean, you're combining a couple of your passions there. What does running do for you as a human and as a traveler? Yeah, running has been huge. It's been huge for me. Um, started it with my brother once again, another common thread, um, working out as a backpacking guide at a summer camp. I think, number one, the mindset. I always figure when I'm traveling, that that endurance mindset, that it's not about just the destination, but it's about the journey. And when you're putting in miles and miles for a marathon, it's not just the moment of crossing the finish line. It's, it's, it's the journey all the way along the way. So I loved that it kind of prepared me mentally. I felt like for endurance traveling, that's been huge. And then the ability to have a pair of running shoes, shorts, and a shirt means I could do it any given day from any place yeah. in the world. And you get to see and, all kinds of... I love to ah, run in foreign countries because you mm-hmm. just go places you wouldn't go if you were just going out to see whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My first you know, 24 hours in a city or in a town often, I go out for a run and it's like a free tour almost. I feel like I get a feel for that three, four, five, six miles around my hostel, guest house, homestay, wherever I'm staying. And uh, it gives you a feel for what that region's like. And I love it. Like getting out of your own two feet. It's just like speeding up your walking tour. It's like I can see three times as much, (laughs) you know, because I'm going faster instead of just walking everywhere. What have been uh, like one or two of your more unique marathon experiences around the world? Sure. Yeah. I had um, one that I just made a video on the other day um, that was not long after my brother passed. I wanted to go over and try to run three marathons in three weekends in three different countries in Europe. That's fun. And uh, (laughs) so I I found a couple small ones, one in the Czech Republic, where I stayed with a local guy that I found on Facebook that responded to my questions in English and stayed with his family. Then went over and ran a night marathon in Switzerland. And the final one was a marathon in Portugal. And uh, my legs were dying. I was really tired. I'd walked all over eight countries and run, you know, two in the last two weeks and then ended up coming in first in this smaller marathon in Portugal called the Lisbon Echo Marathon. And so that was amazing to run three and three weekends and end up And get first in the there. last one. <laughs> and get first in the last one. Yeah. And I was like, no, my legs are heavy. I'm, I'm just going to kind of take it as it goes today, but was feeling good and passed yeah. the guy with a half mile left to 
get on national TV in Portugal the last one in three weeks. So that was uh, that was an amazing three weeks. I never expected to do that well, especially in the last one, but just wanted to finish all three was my goal. I, mean, I don't love running, but I love running uh, when I'm traveling. And I, I, I mean, I actually enjoy it. I just, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any tips on like getting past the you know, the, the three to five mile mark and feeling normal. Sure. Uh, start with friends. I think the social aspect gets a lot of people into it. I run with a few other guys that I teach with. Now I run on my own most of the time, but in the beginning, like it's really helpful. And that got me the first couple months when I was waking up at five in the morning in Colorado there, like so early and it's dark. But if I had a couple of people waiting for me, accountability I down, I couldn't put them down. I had to be accountable. I was like, <laughs> hit this news button and not show up. So I think in the beginning, having a couple of people, yeah, waiting for you to show up at five o'clock at the hub of the summer camp I was at, for example, got me out of bed and I got the ball rolling in the beginning. Yeah, that's a good tip. This is a, it's, it's always good to know too, like, if you want to get out and start doing it again, you just go out and you just put one foot in front of the other, right? Like it's really not rocket science. <laughs> it's simple. I, I love it because it's whoever the effort side, like wherever you are in the world, people can be great runners because effort is not necessarily based on skill or hand-eye coordination. It's not hitting the you know, 90 mile an hour fastball or something. Almost anyone is capable of putting one foot in front of the other and getting out there and, and just trying and yeah, trying it cool. out. It's, it's I think everybody effort. harbors a secret dream of running a marathon, even if you hate running, right? <laughs> it's just like one of those things like, I want to write a book. I want to write a, run a marathon. So I know I always had this daydream that if I was ever going to run a marathon, like I, I would somehow like it would not be an official sanctioned event. Like somehow I just like stumble out of my house and like create some route that's 26.2 miles and then do it. And then like, I don't know, get an ice cream afterwards and just like go <laughs> home by myself to like no fanfare. Like, I don't know. Uh, this is like my daydream. <laughs> and some of my friends, they've recreated races or done it with, um, let's say like a family member or something and felt like that was more inspirational than even a real race would be because they did it with their son you know, and their son never imagined being able to run it. And so it's not necessarily always a real race, but you know, like you said, you can recreate a 26 mile route that could be more meaningful with someone that, you know, has been wanting to do that kind of thing for a long time. So where are you at now? Are you teaching abroad? Are you just teaching at home and doing the, I, I, I'm a little confused by the timeline because it sounds like you said you hit 90 countries and then like you took a year off, did a bunch of traveling, but now sure. are you, are you still living abroad and teaching? But and I want to get into teaching abroad and like that's as a means of travel. But yeah, just let us sure. know kind of timeline. Yeah. yeah. So after college, I went on a one way trip to Mexico to Guadalajara, got talked into teaching English, um, was in Mexico for a year and a half and taught English there, translated for Habitat for Humanity in Colombia and got a job teaching in Bogota. Then went down to the Pantanal, the wetlands part of the Amazon, um, on the border of Bolivia and Brazil, taught there and worked with an NGO, and taught in Brazil for two and a half years. So I was abroad for five and a half, and then came back, got my teaching credential here, yep. and have been teaching here for the last five years. Teaching so English I've or been teaching, teaching Spanish? teaching Spanish, high school Spanish Flip in Sacramento. Flipping Flip the, the script <laughs> at the... Uh, at the same high school, my brother and I graduated from high school, which is uh, kind of funny how life comes full circle sometimes. So I'm teaching alongside uh, teachers that loved having him and I 
12, 13, 14, 15 years ago. You know, it's been enough of a gap where some are not there, but many are still there. So I've been teaching high school Spanish here in Sacramento for the last five years. And then last year, I took a leave of absence for a year and was able to come back to my job this year. So last year, I was on the road for 420 days living out of a carry-on backpack and uh, going to the harder, more challenging, less touristy countries in the world, given that basically the 90 I'd been to before were maybe a little more obvious or attractive for tourist purposes. What is it like uh, coming back from (laughs) what you did and then just like, (laughs) you know, your first week back at school? Is this just like, you just look at the students and be like, you guys have no idea what I've just been through. Yeah, Yeah, it's, (laughs) I mean, reverse culture shock, mind-blowing uh, you know, it, it hits you. Yeah, it's it's it was really hard to jump back into it. I came back like four or five days before our staff meeting started in the beginning of August this year. After exploring, you know, a hundred countries the year before, and like you must have yeah, some good team. stories to bring to the you know the, the teachers are having coffee, hanging around the water cool. It's like sure, oh, you yeah. went on a nice holiday. To, you know, yeah, you're Even like oh, I, I, I hitchhiked through <laughs> Pakistan. <laughs> The, the first day back, the principal asked me to give a presentation for about 30 minutes or so and field questions to have it as a break for all of our meeting type stuff that we had to get through right. to be able to share my experiences. So that was a, a nice way not to have one conversation or 80 right. conversations or 100, but to do it kind of all at once right. and answer a lot of people's questions you know, with like one swing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it hard to settle back in? It, yeah, it has been it has been an adjustment and... Um, I missed kind of the human interaction with people that really know me and being with the kids and the interaction with the young people I did miss when I was gone. But now that I'm here, I definitely miss that freedom and being out and all the new experiences and having a routine and being in, you know, kind of four walls in a classroom for eight to 10 hours a day is definitely a shock, a shock to the system. And it's still kind of a shock, even though it's been, you know, since August, since I've been back. So it's it's a definite transition. Like you said, by coming back, not only the to a job, but to the high school where you went and, you know, where you walked the hallways as a student for four years when you're 15 to 18. And so it's it's definitely been a transition coming back in for sure. I don't know if you ever felt this, but when I was traveling more extensively, sometimes there were times when I felt a little bit like, all right, like I'm kind of always the observer and I can be like little parts of this here and there, but like, I'm really just dipping into people that are like living their lives and I'm living my life, of course, but I'm just kind of like passing through like a ghost, whereas these people, they're with their families and they're, you know what I mean? So now I'm living my life. It's just a, a different way, I guess. Like I see a traveler in the city and it's like, oh, well, they're passing through and I'm one of those people that they're observing. I mean, have you ever had a, I don't know if it's a struggle, but had those types of thoughts and considerations? Yeah, that's huge. I feel like when you're traveling, you want to get involved and you want to get on the inside, but sometimes it feels like you're always uh, being invited in, watching other people's families, kind of sometimes wishing you had a deeper connection when you're traveling, as you were saying, you know, as an outsider looking in. And I think one thing that's really helped for me is that, honestly, I've been living abroad, working abroad pretty much the whole time. And then the trips were more during school breaks. So I, you know, living and teaching English and getting connected in these communities through running and through friends and through people I lived with. Um, helped me to have a sense of home and, and feel like I was living there and not just someone passing through, like you said, and taking pictures or, 
meeting really cool people for 24 hours and never seeing them again. So the majority of my time was, was living and working abroad, which was huge, was huge to be able to get connected. Tell us about the teaching English abroad thing, because obviously that's a, a big option for native English speakers and may, maybe for non-native English speakers as well, if they're able to get the right certifications. We've just done um, an episode in the archives recently that was all about how to teach English abroad. So we don't need to get into the the step-by-step how-tos, but I'm just curious, who is that right for, do you think? You've been a teacher for a long time, so, and we can, we're, we might be generalizing a bit here, but if you could just give us a little bit of uh, your perspective on that. Sure. Yeah, I, I never pictured teaching, and I got talked into doing it, <laughs> so I moved down to, I went down to Guadalajara, Mexico, figured I was starting my months of travel through Latin America, or at least starting out there with a friend that lived there and got talked into uh, teaching a couple of night classes, which I resisted for a couple of weeks. Uh, at the same school, I was studying Spanish at. So for me, it was a way to cover my costs to get free classes at the school I was teaching at in Guadalajara and was terrified to get up in front of people as some of us might be. You know, 20 or 30 adults had no idea what I was doing and ended up liking it. It gave me a way to live abroad, get connected, cover my costs, and jump right into something after I was there for two weeks. And I would recommend that anyone think about teaching English, even if you've never imagined being a teacher or high school or school wasn't quite your deal, um, because it allows you to connect and to give, give to people. And often it's in small groups or with individuals that want to have more of a conversation with you. And I've taught conversational English which is infinitely easier than managing 35 kids in a public high school classroom setting, which maybe you picture what teaching is like. And it's often paying kids or adults that are really motivated to get a job, to work abroad, um, to work with a company. They love music, they love TV, um, and they become friends. Often I felt like I was just teaching and talking with people who were close friends of mine rather than kind of a more professional setting. It just became like we were having you know, deep conversations and that was my job was to teach them English and correct them. But I, I really ended up enjoying it, did it for five and a half years and in several different countries. And it gave me an insight and a connection to these countries I would never have had if I was just passing through as a traveler or working with, let's say, Americans or international people that live there, because I was talking to local people every day for my job and also living with them, sharing an apartment in several countries. Right. And it sounds like you also were improving your 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 own foreign language skills. On your language, definitely. Yeah, um, I ended up moving in with, for example, one of my you know, students who was my age that became a really good friend in Brazil and lived with him and his couple of brothers for two and a half years. You know, and I met him in the first month of teaching English there and was a student that became, you know, my best friend living there. Right on. Let's talk about seeing all these countries on a teacher's salary, the infamous teacher salary, which, <laughs> by the way, shout out to the teachers because y'all should be getting paid more. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it you. sucks we have to say the phrase on a teacher's salary and like everybody knows what that means, right? right what a bunch exactly. of BS. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm really looking for here are some tips and advice on how people can stretch their budgets and uh, like maybe chase a big goal. Maybe they don't have a goal to go to every country, but maybe they want to go over to every country in Europe or they want to go to all seven continents or something, but they're not working with a, a big salary. Sure. Yeah, for me... Um, my first jobs after college were teaching abroad, 
And that got me really in the mindset of saving and being practical because I was making two, three, four times less than I'm right now on an American teacher salary, which like you said, is not the uh, highest salary in the world. So that taught me to be practical and frugal in the beginning. And I think overall, it's what we make a priority of. And I don't take it for granted, um, you know, anyone that's grown up in one of the more uh, kind of developed countries in the world. Sometimes I feel like, you know, we've won the lottery in a sense that if we are wise about it, yeah, I mean, to know, you know, when you travel, you see that, let's say there's maybe five, 10, 15 countries that are similar price or salaries as our country. And, you know, I don't take it for granted the privilege that, that we have to grow up in a country that a lot of middle-class jobs, you might say, teacher included, if you prioritize, give you the ability to, whether it's, you know, to buy a car fairly soon or, you know, in my case, to prioritize and travel the world. I sacrifice a lot of things. I've always lived with friends, lived with family, um, don't value possessions. I don't really ever want to go out and buy things, whether it's the latest and greatest, whether it's, you know, clothes, whether it's expensive meals, and travel's been huge. I've always wanted, you know, I think a lot of us in the community here are, are looking for experiences over stuff. And that's that's been a huge MO for me and, and focus for me. So um, prioritizing while teaching, I've, I've never had a quote-unquote high-paying job ever, nor had a cent paid for by family. I started working when I was 12 with like a friend of our family pruning trees and as an arborist, like tree removal with a chipper all summer and, you know, slowly have been saving up and have found something that I put value in, which is travel and, and life experiences. And that's been huge. Yeah. Time and again, it's, it's the same thing I lock on to as well. I mean, you can have a list of tips and all these different things, but if you just want to remember one thing, it's prioritizing the thing that you want to do. And if that's travel, then a lot of times that'll answer all the other questions, right? It's like, what am I prioritizing here? You're standing at the Best Buy looking at flat screen TVs. All right, remember your priorities, right? What is it that you want to do? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that oftentimes will lead you, I think, into the right solutions for your debates or your internal debates or whatever the case is. So that's key. You've done this with a backpack, it sounds like, just a backpack. You have some packing tips or essential items that you want to share? Sure. Less is more when you're packing. I think like a lot of us, our first trip, we probably took a huge oh. backpacking backpack God. like for the Sierras or the Rockies or something. You end up yeah. digging through stuff. You're like, what am I doing, right? Like, We've all I don't even there. wear half this stuff or <laughs> I can just wash it for a couple dollars at a hostel and yeah, so I ended up, you know, getting it smaller and smaller. And now, like, you know, for this last year, had four T-shirts, a pair of pants, a pair of shorts. You know, I, I wanted to take some videos, so I had a GoPro and a drone with me and my cell phone. But besides that, like, be a minimum, like, take a few things. You don't, you can But, but I am a maximalist country, with underwear. Things. I am a maximalist with underwear, <laughs> you know? I think underwear and socks, those are the two yeah. that I feel like I need to change all the time. But the outer stuff you know, you can wear multiple times and, and be fine with it. Yeah, I think those are two of the ones, underwear and socks. <laughs> don't don't skip on those ones too much. Yeah, yeah. It's um a lot of times too, you get your laundry done, you walk out in a place like Hanoi or something, Hanoi in Vietnam, and you're just like, you're soaked within 10 minutes with sweat anyway. So you're like, did I really just wash this? And <laughs> it is like, might as well not even wash this. All right, let's talk about some of the adventures you've had because I know you got some stories to tell. It sounds like, like you said, you've stayed in refugee camps. I mean, you've hitchhiked across Pakistan, right? Done some pretty intense traveling to 
non-touristic places, shall we say. I guess what advice do you have for traveling in those types of destinations? I mean, maybe, you know, some real world type of stories to illustrate some points might help. You are a teacher, so teach us some stuff here. Teach us about traveling through these lesser um, known or maybe more dangerous or maybe perceived as more dangerous destinations. Sure. I think first off, the news would have us believe that these places are just impossible and that they're too dangerous to visit, that everyone there is out to get you. And and I think the things I always talk about in class is human kindness. There are so many more good people than bad people out there and people are willing to help you out. You know, it's not like you're ignorant, but I've, I've just been helped by countless strangers all over the place. For example, um, you know, like I went to Iraq, to Kurdistan, Iraq, which is northern Iraq, a place that you only hear negative news about um, when you think about Iraq and couch surfed or stayed with a local there who was a professor that I found online. And him and I ended up going all over the northern part of Iraq, um, in Kurdistan, Iraq. And he had students that were um, in his classes, and he was on a school break that lived in refugee camps. And so he asked if I wanted to go up and visit some of the biggest refugee camps in northwestern Iraq. And I spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day uh, with just a couple of incredible families in these tents up there, like you picture, and, you know, 30,000, 40,000 kind of UNICEF tents. And they couldn't have been kinder to us, even though humanly they had almost nothing as far as, you know, possessions or wealth and things. They'd been living there for four years. And we were on these mats, you know, sleeping in the cold there, uh, kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, one next to another, next to another in their tent. But just the sense of warmth and love, which they gave me and my hosts, um, who was their professor, you know, with the meals and with laughter. Uh, you know, these people have a lot to give and I think are often seen in a, a negative view. And I've, uh, you know, that was one that stood out to me was not this Christmas, but the Christmas before sleeping in the biggest refugee camp in northern Iraq. Um, and, and if you're afraid, you would never go to a country like this. But I, you know, continue to have positive experiences. And uh, that's a country that I would love to go back to. Kurdistan was beautiful in northern Iraq and, and the people couldn't have been kinder to me who I met there. How did you overcome any personal fears you had visiting these places? Sure. I think you're nervous before every, every unknown in life, you're going to be a little bit nervous or, you know, human nature tells us, I don't know what to expect. It might be bad. It might be. And, and we're afraid of the unknown. And I, honestly, like after a few days in every country, it's like I didn't want to move on to the next one because then I had a connection. I knew people there. It became real to me and I had positive experience or positive interactions with people. And, and I think when you have that repeated process of um, going into something that's new, um, meeting people, feeling a sense of love, being taken care of, then for the next country or next experience, even though you might be slightly afraid, you have that trust built up that, hey, I've done this before, and, and it's going to work out again, and I'm going to be okay. Can you talk about some challenging experiences you've had where it wasn't okay for a period of time? <laughs> sure. I mean, last year, I traveled independently to 100 nations, and it was it's lonely. And you're out there, and you're trying to get visas in countries in Africa and work with uh, you know, one guy at an embassy who might show up a couple of times a week that has got you in the palm of his hands. And, and, and sometimes you're brought to your knees as you're you know, waiting, trying to plan, whether it's buses or flights to the next country. And you have to be extremely patient. You're by yourself. You've got no one to turn to. Um, you're alone with your thoughts. It's, it's not easy. Like the style 
that I'm trying to visit every country would not be for a lot of people. Because of the but bureaucracy, that's the most frustrating thing. Uh, bureaucracy is huge. There's so many countries you know, that need visas, for example. And Do you have to pay people off to get visas or things like that? Is there like, yeah, shadiness? Yeah, it, it's challenging. And, <laughs> it's challenging. Yeah. I think in a lot of, a lot of parts of the world, uh, whether it's an express service that they might call it or kind of a bribe, like a lot of times that's how life works in these countries. And if they say, you know, it's going to take three weeks to get a visa for Chad or Niger and you, you can't stay three more extra weeks in Abidjan, the capital of Ivory Coast, you know, but, you know, we have an express process for you. So you end up having to kind of work with their system and, and, you know, it's human relations the entire time working with someone who, you know, is the only guy that can get you the visa for the country that you're trying to get it to. And, uh, it, it's constantly working, you know, back and forth with, with people that you've never met before. And the bureaucracy is definitely huge for the last year. It was definitely a challenge. Yeah. What did, what did all that teach you about yourself? Uh, to be patient, to be disciplined as far as like, I'm going to show up day after day after day, knocking on the door for someone here to, to try to wait and get everything done. Not to it sounds like persistence for you has never been an issue, right? <laughs> no, I, I guess I have a good practice with that one with, you know, marathon running or teaching or being patient in class with the kids, um, have a sense of humor and be patient. Those are huge. Like things could, you know, just make you want to just knock your head against the wall sometimes with the, the process of doing things or the timing of public transportation and, you know, West Africa, Central Africa. So uh, patience is huge. And being able to laugh, take a step back, be like, hey, I'm choosing to be here. If I wanted to be where everything was a little more what I'm used to, I'd be home. So let's let's enjoy this, you know, part of the journey. Even though it might be painful now, I'm going to look back in the future and be able to laugh on it a little bit more. So let's try to laugh about it a little bit now because, yeah. you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back later and be able to enjoy this. Well, that's a good mindset tactic, right? I mean, like in that way, travel kind of, for, you know, they talk about like the witness consciousness, which is the uh, stepping outside of yourself. And, and if you're talking to yourself, about your internal dialogue, then there's something outside of your internal dialogue talking to yourself, if that makes sense, right? So it's it's almost like forced upon you in these situations, right? It's just like, hey, I can look at this situation as an, you know, all the emotions are frustration and you want to probably throw something against the wall, but something else in you is saying, uh, all right, let's appreciate the humor in this. Let's like have a good sense of humor about it. And <laughs> understand i'm choosing to be here and like settle down and let's it's not good i mean this is like where i think travel teaches you patience right like even if you're not patient by nature it's like you have, you have to, to learn these things and like a lot of times the only way to learn it is by uh having it thrust having these situations thrust upon you um mm -hmm. or at least it can mm -hmm. it can ramp up the learning curve pretty quickly Sure, you're forced. You're forced to demonstrate it, whether it's been a great quality of yours or not. I think you're put into situations all the time yeah. where you're waiting, like just transportation in general and visas. Like, I felt like I spent half of my last year. People see the glorious moments in the photos, but I mean, you're spending half the year just figuring out how to get everywhere. I mean, in buses and shared vans, like you're spending half your life in transportation and, and <laughs> people don't see it. You might share a couple of pictures of it, but you can't take that awkward picture in a shared car with 12 people made for five, you know, driving across borders in West Africa. Like yeah. that's a tough picture to take, but you know it, you've sweated it out and you've been there. So you know that patience yeah. is huge. <laughs> it's, it's really big. Yeah. And until you're in that situation, live through it, then you don't really know. 
I mean, that's daily life for those people, but to you, it's it's new. Yeah, you don't forget that and it stays with you. And then you can also appreciate three years later when you're sitting on a bus or a plane and you got the whole seat to yourself and you're like, remember that mm-hmm. time I was <laughs> crammed in a bus with 12 people? Did you have any challenges in certain countries with outside of that with um, people, dangerous situations, any safety tips or things like that? I mean, I think that's one thing that will prevent a lot of people either from traveling or like maybe going to certain places is the, obviously the safety is being the number one concern. So what sure. what do you do yes. to kind of give yourself a, a level of comfort that that you're like, I'm going to, I'm as prepared as I can be to be safe in this, uh, in these situations. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's helpful to have people that you know that have been to places that can reassure you. I thought you were going to say made... like, it's helpful to carry a machete and also, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I, for me, like just the, the comfort and the confidence it gives you to have um, someone that you know that's been there is huge. And so if you can reach out, find someone, I made um, kind of a group of friends with other travelers online that are, are trying to visit a lot of obscure countries and a lot of them trying to go to every country in the world. And I know someone that had been to South Sudan or Central African Republic or wherever you're headed was huge to know that they had gone, they had been okay, and that they said, you know, do this or do that and you'll be fine. I, I think when you get there as well, I immediately start asking um, whether it's a taxi driver, whether it's my host, whether it's someone who I meet to the local restaurant, you know, what can you do? Do I need to be back before sunset? Can I walk here? Do I need to take taxis all the time? Um, and you kind of group together four, five, six people's opinions firsthand of what they've experienced and you form kind of a game plan for, all right, what's safe for me? Where can I go? Where do I need to be a little careful of? In a lot of countries, maybe I'm coming in later and not going out that, mu- at, you know, out that much at night. Um, but I think gathering together people's firsthand experience instead of a stereotype or a news impression is is huge to get firsthand experience from people who have been there or are currently living there. Local people will want to look out for your best needs and often give you a more conservative um, you know, strategy or recommendation. So I really take those, group them together, and then form my game plan for how uh, I'm able to walk around or what I'm able to do in every place I visit. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, you go to your local bookstore and you can see all the guidebooks to sort of the the places that most people are traveling. But then you might forget that there are corners of the internet. I I mean, anything you want to know, you can find online, right? And that means you can meet somebody else who's been to X, Y, or Z destination and form a relationship with them and get some reassurances, maybe even get some introductions. I'm sure you've had those introductions to people on the ground that have take you in perhaps. Do you have any resources you want to share in terms of websites or? Sure. I mean, I have a group that's called Every Passport Stamp. It's EPS that I use for um, making friends that go to a lot of the more obscure countries in the world and uh, getting information on these places. That's been a huge resource for me. Is that a Facebook um, group, you mean? Yeah, or? it's a Facebook okay. group called Every Passport Stamp that's been really big for me to meet like-minded people that are going to, quote-unquote, the more challenging countries in the world. That's been huge. If you're thinking of trying to go to a lot of these harder countries, uh, I think that's a huge one, is to be able to have a sense of community that I'm not at this by myself. Um, and they share information, and it might be updates or posts on, it could be visas or safety or people's first experiences. Hey, I've been in 
Syria with such and such a guide for the last 10 days. Here's how it went. You know, I crossed the border here. This is what happened to me. Don't let them charge you more for a visa. Um, that's been huge, having people's firsthand experiences for, for going these places. So that's, that's been a big one the last year for me. And uh, then just gathering ideas for where to go. I mean, I love seeing people's, you know, photos and pictures. And I'm always just kind of staying up to date for um, beautiful places or off-the-radar places, you might say. Whether it's a couple of YouTubers you follow, um, you know, this guy named Drew Binsky that's a, a friend of some of my friends. And he's visiting every country. He makes great videos with local people about their stories that give you more of a comfort factor of going to some of these lesser visited countries in the world. We've visited, even, you know, met some of the same people. So it's it's been fun to have um, contacts that that just bridge that gap for the, the unknown. Here's what I hear about through the news too. No, I have friends or friends of friends that have been there. And so now my, my confidence and my comfort level is just much higher than it would be just believe in news stories. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about just a couple more travel stories, but I wanted to ask you how you manage your money. Do you sure. stash cash in like a sock and then some over here <laughs> and then have a money? Like, what do you do? Sure. Yeah. I have um, Charles Schwab ATM card, which gets me no fees on most of the ATMs um, or seems like nearly all of them. When I go around the world, it's kind of no transaction cost uh, ATM card. And so I take out cash. Most of the developing world runs on cash and some countries like Madagascar a couple of years ago, I think the biggest bill was like a one or $2 bill. And you know, you get into the international airport, you might not see an ATM for the rest of your time there. So you ended up stashing wads of cash, unfortunately, in some of these countries. Yeah. So that can belt, be stressful. I, it can. Yeah, yeah, it can. And like, it's weird in the beginning. You feel like you're just holding these huge wads that you never carry around. Like, what do I do with these things? And um, I'll put some in a money belt, some in my backpack, keep some on me. I keep it spread out. And, um, you know, cash rules in most of the world. So you do need cash. And then I always keep dollars and euros as a backup. And that's been huge. In a lot of countries, maybe even the ATMs don't work. And so you're in a Zimbabwe, you're in a Sudan, and you know going in through your friends' experiences or online posts that ATMs don't even work. So you better have dollars and euros because in the whole world, those are the two currencies that will be accepted basically everywhere you go. If you get in trouble or you run out of local currency, sometimes I never even had local currency because I couldn't get it out and would just work off of dollars and euros. And that's what people want when they're working there. So I'd carry around extra of those two currencies. As much as you think you need, sometimes it's more than you want to take, but you know, maybe you're going to four countries where no ATMs are going to be accessible to you. And so you, you have to have a stash and be able to, you know, feel comfortable surviving in these countries. And that's that's been something that's helped me out. <laughs> to have keep you been robbed at all? On hand. Um, only once when I was living in Colombia and for seven years of being abroad in nearly every country in the world, um, I feel like that's... Yeah, I mean, it could happen in a big city in the U.S., you know, if you were walking around. So for me, overwhelmingly positive. I worked there. I taught English there and was walking home one day and, you know, had someone snatch my backpack, which thankfully didn't have really anything of value except for an old iPod <laughs> back in the day <laughs> in it. And, um, you know, it definitely shook me a little bit at the moment, but all things considered wasn't, uh, you know, I haven't really had very many negative experiences at all because, you're, you're wise. You're street smart. When you walk out, you go with the purpose. You know where you're going. You don't go out at night. Like I said, you talk to local people and know what to do and what not to do. And I was walking from you know, the, the train stop there with the 
in Bogota back to my apartment. It was a short walk. You know, it wasn't something that I could kind of easily avoid, but you know, that, that was once in millions of, of positive experiences in a lot of, you know, more challenging countries in the world, so-and-so. Outside of getting connected through some of these groups or whatever, what is your advice on getting yourself ingratiated with the locals? With the locals. Try to find a place on Airbnb booking or couch surfing, if you want to do couch surfing where you can even stay for free. That is a room at a local's house. And I've done this Amazingly, even in like remote countries in Africa, there's someone in the capital who is opening up a room in their house for ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars a night compared to the when you hop on the other side of booking two hundred dollar a night chain hotel that all the expats might stay at or something that's famous that I mean you get a local feel immediately you're there they're offering you something to eat they're trying to share with you where to go maybe their family's coming in and out you feel like you're part of the family atmosphere and it feels great you're living like the local feels and and you know that saves you not only a ton of money but also walking down the hallway to a cold hotel room i don't know it sometimes feels lonely at the end of the day but when you're taken right in with a family and you're in a you know spare bedroom with them like that that's ideal. And those are on booking. They're on Airbnb. It's amazing. Even in countries you might not imagine these places existing, there are a lot of them out there. And just looking online on those two websites, you can find people in you know, nearly every country in the world. Most memorable meal? Meal. Oh, there's a lot of good meals. I remember being in uh, Benin and Togo in West Africa, which are a couple of the capitals of um, like voodoo and you know, kind of some interesting countries and meeting some guys randomly on the beach there and then just having me into their house and uh you know kind of some bush meat that you know you might get at kind of you don't really know what the meat is sometimes that you know their mom's cooking up and they have you know a lot of people in the world eat with their hands uh i kind of think about a friend of mine said a third of the world eats with chopsticks a third with their hands and a third with silverware so you better get used to eating with your hands when you're going places a lot of africa you wash your hands and everyone's diving in and uh you know it's kind of different kind of cornmeal, kind of grainy starches that they have over there, like cassava and things, and, you know, some type of bush meat and sauce. And it's often rude not to accept what people are making. So I eat just about everything. Not everything's your favorite, but it's when they invite you in with the family, it's like, you don't want to put people off. And so I almost always say yes and try whatever they're eating. And, you know, it might not be something you're going to repeat and cook at home, <laughs> but in the moment you're glad that they're making it, it's a home cooked deal. And if it's an end to seeing what local life is like, uh, I say yes every single time. So that that's happened, you know, not just in Benin and Togo, for example, but in hundreds of situations where do you want to come over? You're like, all right, it's going to be interesting in what we're trying tonight for dinner, but I'm game. It's going to allow me to meet their whole family. And so I'm, I'm trying it, whatever they're making. Yeah, it's almost two categories. Like it sounds like we're kind of of the like mind where it's it's uh, there's like the one category where it's not so much about the food, but it's more about hey, I got invited to somebody's home and had this experience with a local. That's the best. Those are the most memorable. But then you could have another category that's like the best food you've you've had. <laughs> you know, because that could just happen at a restaurant. Maybe you're surrounded by tourists or something. It doesn't, you know, matter. Maybe it's just about the food, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's a different one. Like, I lived in Brazil for two and a half years. So, like, Brazilian steakhouses, which in the U.S. are $50, you know, ordeals. I was down there for Christmas break, you know, a couple of months ago visiting friends. And, you know, for eight bucks on the side of the highway, you get 20 kinds of meat sliced off with the 
you know, running spit for the waiters that are coming around with 20 or 30 different types of meat. Like basically, you know, every five seconds there's someone else coming to your table. And yeah, like that's one of my favorite dining or, you know, meal experiences is like in Brazil, what you'd have down there. So definitely different going for the experience of an in the family life to what meal you choose to have if you have X number of hours or days in the country. <laughs> Where are the places, uh, like the one or two places you'd most like to go back to and why? Sure. I, I love the outdoors. And so for me, it's going to focus on places that are naturally beautiful. Some people might like cities or history. Um, for me, Nepal for the trekking was my favorite place probably of the 100 countries last year, um, just with the beauty. And I'll throw out another country, which is in the same neck of the woods, Pakistan. Pakistan's right up there. It's one of my favorite countries I've ever been to. Pakistan, check the boxes. Uh, almost no tourists, incredibly beautiful, a lot of the biggest mountains in the world. The people, the people were incredible. People is what makes your trip. You might go for the hikes or the cities or the reputation, but the people make it. And so I literally paid for almost nothing for my three weeks in Pakistan. And I'd heard this might be the case, but when I went there, my friend's like, everything's going to be free when you go there. Just wait. Like people won't let you pay for anything because they're so hospitable. You know, the Quran teaches us that we want to be welcoming to foreigners, to guests. Like we almost never have foreigners here. We want you to have a good impression of it. Go back and tell your friends, your travel friends, so that they come visit us. Every shop I went into, every milkshake, every juice, every sandwich I got, no, 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 no. It's on me. Like have another one. And you can come stay with my family tonight too. So when I went to the ATM and got out, you know, my cash for three weeks in Pakistan, I couldn't spend any of it because I got invited in and literally you know, of 40 meals or snacks, like as an American were paid right? for as an American. Yeah. As yeah. an American. And, you know, we would not hear these kind of stories necessarily on the news. And, and there I am going all over hitchhiking a lot of parts of Northern Pakistan through the most beautiful, rugged regions that you might ever see, you know, in any country in the world and being invited in and not even being able to pay for anything because they want you to have a good impression and to go back and share that their country is not, you know, as dangerous, as bad, as negative, that people are kind here. And uh, Pakistan's a country as far as photography as well. I mean, some of my best pictures, I have a friend that lives in Barcelona that's going to be leading a trip to Pakistan. He's, he's a photographer there and loves going to Pakistan. It's, that's definitely one of my favorites and off the radar for most people and, and really authentic as well. For you as an American, what, what does it take to get there? Is it a, a top visa situation or? Yeah, the visa, I was one of the first um, people, as far as I know, to get the e-visa, which opened up. I was there last June and July. And so I was able to apply for an e-visa while I was traveling, which is great. So I didn't have to come back to the U.S. and do it later on. And I had to submit a couple documents from work, I remember, like my vice principal writing a, you know, a little letter of recommendation that he is employed, you know, this is where he works. And um, they called me and had like a 10-minute question interview with me on Skype, which they wanted to set up. And so the visa was doable. It's e-visa. It's probably gotten even a little bit easier since a year ago, but it's um, become more accessible to foreigners. And so I did it online, the e-visa process. Cool. If you weren't teaching, what would you be doing? What may you be doing? <laughs> Good question. Uh, the, working with something with travel, whether it was leading um, adventure trips abroad, maybe it was student trips abroad, um, with college abroads, I could see trying to work abroad again, finding some type of way to combine travel, education, adventure, 
I could teach English, definitely. Um, to live in another country, uh, life's too life's too short to be doing something and where you're on automatic and just going through the motions. I feel like so it would be finding some way to be able to teach and travel and keep the international aspect a part of my life. So it's been education for eleven years, but I, you know, working nomadically or remotely would, uh, you know, definitely be something that I would consider and uh, I could see doing, you know, if it wasn't teaching. I know you probably can't say it because maybe you're worried that somebody that you work with is listening to this, but I'm getting the sense that uh, there might be some questions and some changes in the near future for you in terms of your career path. I don't know. Or maybe you can speak to that or you can just stay silent. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm always listening. I love teaching. <laughs> I love being here. Uh, I've loved teaching abroad and, um, you know, the connection with young people and the connection with students has been something that's been you know, as someone who loves traveling, like I love sharing about it. And so education's been a really good outlet to be able to teach about culture and food and experiences and you know, share photos and videos and not just hit students over the head with a textbook and, uh, you know, but to hopefully walk the walk and have your life, you know, show and hopefully, you know, your life speaks as loudly as your words do for, for what you value and, and what you enjoy doing and what you're passionate about. Awesome. And uh, of course, if you go to the World Hiker dot com then you can hit all the articles there the the social channels all that good stuff that's that's probably the best place for people to find you right yeah yeah the worldhiker.com and um on youtube as well the world hiker i've made videos of a lot of the countries i've been to and um on instagram with the dot world dot hiker um with you know stories and pictures from a lot of the trips and times living abroad and experiences uh, one of the things you go out and do it and spend so much time and effort that you want to be able to share and inspire people. And for me, it's in the classroom eight or 10 hours a day, but I love to do it outside the classroom as well. And, you know, appreciate uh, being able to just share with you and, and anyone who asks and always happy to answer questions. And, you know, you want people to, to have a happy, inspired life. And this has gave my life a sense, given my life a sense of purpose for the last 12, 13 years here and overcome challenges along the way and, and, and been a blessing for me. I have to think that you're got to be one of the cooler teachers to have in, in school, right? I mean, it's like, hey, my teacher's been to, I mean, we could almost say pretty much every country in the world. You're missing one right now, but I'm sure you're going to knock it out. So I, mean, I remember it was a big inspiration for me during fifth grade. And my mom tells this story too, when my teacher came in and talked about her trip to Ireland and showed us where it was on the map. And it was like really the first time that I think it truly registered that there was a world out there with other people doing different things and living in different ways. And it, it, it just impacted me so much. So I'm sure you are doing that for others. You're doing it here right now, but you're also you're doing it every day at your school. And there, you know, who knows where these kids will go uh, just having been around you and hearing some of your stories, you know, leading by example and all that. Yeah. Trying to plant the seed. I heard your podcast with the uh, 20, lessons of travel over 20 years, I think, where you're talking about your fifth grade teacher and, you know, fifth grade, like, can you go out and travel when you're in fifth grade and, you know, plan and budget and do these things? Maybe not. Can my students? Maybe not when they're 14, 15, but if you can plant the seed, you know, then when they come back or they reach out, you know, a few years later and you get that feedback of, hey, now I can actually choose what I'm doing with my life and I'm going to study abroad or travel or what about this country or that country? It just makes you smile when it's three, four, five years ago and just planting the seed. That's the goal, you know? You're planting the seed today. Who knows where 
where it's going, but you've, I think you've done a good job of that. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience. And yeah, man, you got, you got such a good spirit and way about you. And uh, I, I just congratulate you on everything that you've done and really look forward to staying in touch and seeing where else you got I me mean, now that you've, you know, knocking off almost all these countries. You got all, I mean, who, who knows what's next, but I'm excited to um, keep in touch and see. And I want to thank you for having me on because on some of these long bus trips, you know, or when I'm like driving even here in California, I'll download the podcast and uh, it just keeps you inspired because sometimes when you're in your daily routine, you need that. And so you just like, you know, filling up your life with some travel. And so thanks for not just inspiring me, but, you know, I know other travelers that, that tune in and, and thanks for, for putting the work in and, and keeping people like me on the right track where, you know, we get some input and, you know, some inspiration to keep us keep us thinking big and thinking abroad and having all the different you know types of guests that you have on. It's uh, it's an inspiration to be able to, you know, share and also be able to hear, you know, all the people you've had on. So thanks. Thanks for your work as well. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. I mean, I didn't I didn't have to sit on that bus with 12 other people cramming. It was made for five people. <laughs> but believe so. me, when I could throw my <laughs> you know, my uh, headphones and be able to listen in and just like, Sometimes you need you know, to zone tune out, out for an hour. Right? Oh my gosh. Sometimes like not being there and feeling every second of it right. is exactly what you need. And so when I can listen in for an hour long podcast, it's like, oh, I'm not completely alone. I can make it through the day. <laughs> That's great. Man. Well, I'm, uh, I'm honored that I was uh, some small part in, in that, in, in, in your time going around wherever you've been. And you've been everywhere. So, um, and I'll come back to Norway, man. Oh, I'd love to. I love to. Yeah, I haven't been to Norway in a while, and it's. I know it's beautiful there, and it's I got tough to traveling explore. here. Tough traveling, you know. Not not a budget country, definitely, <laughs> but the beauty and the uh, outdoors factor is a ten out of ten. I know it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, uh, let's keep in touch, and thanks again for your time and for coming on the show. Will do. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. There you have it. Isn't Brian an awesome guy? And I always say, every time I talk to these incredible guests, I get to share these conversations. I feel so lucky and fortunate to have you listening to this podcast. Without all of you listening, there is no show. There is no platform. And nothing exists without the community, the listening community. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I get to keep doing what I love, which is having conversations that inspire me and getting to share them with you so you can in turn maybe gain some new perspectives, learn some new things, get inspired yourself. That's what this community is all about. It's all about sharing. So if you want to ever get in touch with me, drop me a line. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email address. Give me some guest recommendations. Check in. Just let me know who you are, what you're up to. I do read every single email and I love to hear from listeners. I love those reviews too, of course. If you ever want to drop me a review, those are always helpful for getting the show out to a wider audience. So thank you to everybody who has ever taken the time to either write a review or check in and say hi or has just listened to the show and that's you right now. Whether you listen to one show or 300, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and you are part of an incredible global community. I'm going to give a shout out to somebody in this listening community in just a moment. First, one more thank you to homeexchange.com for supporting today's show. This is an incredible platform, global platform, that allows you to exchange your home easily, seamlessly, and without any money changing hands. And this is such a brilliant way 
to travel. You know, a lot of the services like Airbnb and other sort of sharing economy type services where you're paying for like a hotel room, but it's in somebody's house, basically. Uh, They're not personal. They're not community driven. They don't have values like uh, some of the ones I'm going to share from Home Exchange. I mean, these, these are their written values. They say, uh, Home Exchange allows travelers to flee from mass tourism and travel more responsibly. They value local tourism and promote a more egalitarian and circular tourism. They believe that traveling means experiencing and fully immersing yourself in the local culture. They believe travelers should act as both guests and contributors, not as spectating tourists. And... They believe we should all think about the environmental impact of our travels to help us make the right choices. I mean, this is something special going on with HomeExchange.com and also practical because you can get free accommodations around the world just by exchanging your home and offering up accommodations to other people in their community. So you should sign up and get a profile and scope it out. It's free to join HomeExchange.com. You only pay when you make your first exchange. How great is that? And when you do that, just type in the promo code 010 with no spaces, 010, and you'll get 10% off their annual fee just for being a listener of this show. Super easy, super simple. Sign up at homeexchange.com. Join the number one home exchange community in the world today. Get 10% off when you make your first exchange using that promo code 010, and you're gonna have instant access to over 400,000 homes in 187 countries around the world that you can stay in. It's insane. Check them out. Thanks again to homeexchange.com for supporting today's show. Now, time for a shout out. My man, Julian. It was so great to hear from you. You said, hey, Jason. We've never met, emailed, or spoken to one another, but I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to your podcast over the past couple months. Since March, I've been working remotely from home, and like everyone who loves to travel have been wondering when we'll be able to hit the road again. By way of quick background, I'm in my mid-50s. I was born in New York City and have lived most of my life in the New York area. I caught the travel bug during my junior year of college when I spent a semester in Kenya and then backpacked on my own for several months in the Middle East and Europe. Since then, travel has become my passion. I am happy exploring an old city's alleyways as I am hiking in the wilderness. My wife and I, along with our two daughters who are now out of college, have traveled throughout Canada and national parks of the USA, Central America, and much of Europe. Last fall, pre-pandemic, my wife and I took our first trip to Japan, which I absolutely loved and to which I would return in a heartbeat. Next up on my bucket list, Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, New Zealand, and Spain. You and your guests have a great rapport, a way of making travel discussions fun and informative. Rather than focusing on the experiences I am missing, I am now daydreaming of all the places I will visit once the world returns to some sense of normalcy. So thank you. Stay well and safe, Julian. Thank you, Julian. Uh, thanks for sharing your story. Of course, I emailed Julian back. I asked him. You know, he's a dad of two. I'm a dad of two. I said, you got to give me some uh, advice. What kind of parenting advice do you have? I always ask parents that have been through it as a parent myself. And he said... Hey, you probably already know this, but just travel with them as much as you can when they're kids. That was a great reminder to do that. He said it gets harder when they get older. So it's one of those things, travel, things like that. You can always find an excuse to, to put it off. This could be the case for a lot of uh, 
dreams or goals or desires. Sometimes we just tell ourselves, this is just easier, right? Well, this isn't the best time. I can't leave my job now. This isn't the best time. I can't um, take this trip now because I got all these things going on and, you know, it'll be better in, in two or three years. And sometimes people fall through with that. And other times those two or three years go by and then it's still not the best time. And then more years go by and say, well, it's not quite the right time yet. And one thing that I think I've learned, I'm trying to soak up these life lessons with my time here on earth. One thing I think I've learned is yeah, certain things that the timing can be better than other times, but it can also be true that there's never really a perfect time to pursue a goal or to take a trip or something like that. I think there can be better times than others and you can be smart about it. But even when you pull the trigger on something that you've been thinking about for a while, it's always a little bit nerve wracking. You're always like, well, is this the right time? I don't really know. Should we wait? Um, that can be the case quite often. So anyway, if you feel like uh, you've been putting something off because it's not the perfect time, then maybe something to think about there, right? What does that mean to be the perfect time? What does that really mean? Is there such thing as a perfect time? Are you putting something off because it's not the perfect time? And does it need to be the perfect time? Maybe it doesn't need to be the perfect time. I just wanted to throw out this little, my little rant for the day. <laughs> okay. Now, I will let you go. First, I'm going to pull a little quote out of my drawer here since I am home today. And I've got this one. Now my drawer is kind of full of crap because I stuck my external hard drives in here and pens and random uh, pieces of paper. So I got to dig a little bit. Here's something. This is from Sulak Sivareska. Radical transformation of society requires personal and spiritual change first or at least simultaneously. There you go. Some wisdom from the random quote drawer coming at you today from Norway where it's sunny and beautiful and I hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are. Thank you so much, so very much for being a part of this community and listening to this show. I appreciate every single one of you. You know that. You feel that. I love y'all. Peace and love and uh, I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.